Be careful or someone will make your last name Skywalker. In honor of the Eternals, what cinematic sunset is your favorite? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and the answer is the final scene in Boyhood. Uh, it's like always right now, you know? I'm Matt Patches, and I feel like, Dave, you stole my answer with the intro, which is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Star Wars. Which, which one? The film that's called Star Wars. Okay, okay. There's a film that's actually just called Star Wars, believe there's it or not. Two, there's, there's two sons in that one. Two sons for the price of one. Mm-hmm. Oh, true. Maybe I, this, the answer doesn't count because it was a singular sunset. <laughs> well, also, my joke was a different one from a different movie that wa- wasn't, True. it was subtitled something beyond Star Wars. Not important. Hey, I'm David the Seven, and I'm going to go with the rock sunset, the one that's happening behind the green smoke. And speaking of green, I, David Ehrlich, will go with the very end of Eric Romer's The Green Ray. Wow. Don't even know what that movie is. I have you seen don't. A, green, a green flash. Has anyone ever seen a green flash? That's a- what the happens at the end of the green no i know but have you ever seen one Uh, no i was once in the middle of the ocean and i watched a sunset and when the sun goes down it flashes emerald green katie this when you like wrote moby dick when were you wow (laughs) (laughs) the green the green ray is one of one of the great movies you should definitely were you lost at sea See it sometime (laughs) no actually well this is for Later, I guess. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 372. It's Pandemic 85. It is the week of Wednesday, November 3rd. That's the day that in 1957, uh, Laika went to board on Sputnik 2. Yep. The Soviet Union and never came home. Yeah, that's true. We don't really talk about that part of it, do we? I thought they mm. came home well, and made those stop motion movies. Mm. Mm. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. 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 Really makes you think. Mm-hmm. Uh I uh, we already talked about Star Wars in this episode, so I really worry for tempting fate. But do we have any reviews? Um, the duel of fate. The duel of the fates. Yeah, I was searching my brain for the Star Wars <laughs> connection to the word fate, and patches uh, unsurprisingly got there first. Uh, we do have a review, and the, uh-huh. we have one review, and the subject line for it echoes something that uh, it's actually an exact sentence that went through my head. I may have even said it out loud. Right before we started recording, but while we were all speaking to each other, um, it's I will never forgive Matt Patches. And <laughs> in this instance, um, I was thinking of a, a take that Matt Patches will share on a future episode in the next few weeks. But it's a bad one, folks. It's a doozy. It's uh, not even a hard take. It's like a I middle mean, of the I, road take and it's I, still I, bad. I, nah. Uh, we'll see. We'll get there. I will uh, ding the, the gong when we do so you all know what I'm talking about. But Good for team, now... Though. EGM00 says, I will never forgive Matt Patches. Oh, God. Normally, I don't mind when my fave cast of critics takes time off the podcast for whatever reason. This time, Matt Patches and Dave Seven Gonzalez were left on their own. While I would listen to anything with Dave, Dave Seven, I followed him here from Storm of Spoilers. I realized I have my limits. The last episode, <laughs> while entertaining, made me realize the reason this is my favorite podcast is because of the four of you, sometimes three, including David Ehrlich, who I missed in this episode, all thanks to Matt Patches. Thanks for all the fun and crazy insights over the year, years. 
I look forward to all of the future ones. Well, thank you. I feel like EGN I need more explanation out of this. It's not yeah, a complete I, drag. I, you know, it was no, helpful. I mean, it, it's not a complete drag. It's a very it's polite a drag. drag. It's like, yeah. I like Dave. Yeah. I realized last week's episode wasn't for me. I like David Ehrlich even, and I like it when all four of you are together. They so like really, you as part of the quartet. You are adding the even to the I like David Ehrlich. There's an including David Ehrlich <laughs> because <laughs> I was also absent from that episode. But that's very different from even David Ehrlich, <laughs> which I fair, agree fair. with you could be implied from that. And it's where my you know self-loathing brain goes, but it's not necessarily what they were saying. I'm, just, I, I'm against the half measure of leaving a review, but not fully explaining why I suck. This first uh, should leave this, another review. There are definitely podcasts that I listen to where if the hosts are not all there, it's a skip for me. Yeah. This one included. So I never listen to episodes where I'm on. I mean, the only time I listen to this <laughs> podcast is when all the hosts are not there because I was one of the hosts that wasn't there and therefore uh, want to listen to the show. You got to get the code words that we sprinkle in. Cephalocron, <laughs> baby. Uh, well, if you want to be like EGM00, which I can only hope is a reference electronic to the classic video game magazine, yeah. <laughs> Electronic Gaming Monthly, um, if, if you would like to join them, their lofty ranks, leave us a review. Go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. We'll read it live on the show. It will spare us from having to talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. And trust me, that is a threat we will follow through on because there is a lot to discuss about that's happening on the oh. tables these days. <laughs> So uh, go on, leave those reviews, or else. We want to talk about Passing, which is uh, in some theaters now, but it will be on Netflix on November 10th. Uh, It played at the Sundance Film Festival nearly a full year ago which is where i saw it so maybe my memories are more fuzzy than they should be but i also just read the book no it was uh it was a virtual sundance i was i was like where i'm trying to picture myself like i think i was on my computer right yeah Yeah, i was was like oh no i was on my couch 100 percent watched on my couch that's where most people will see this film that's true and i i imagine it's a very nice uh big screen experience it's filmed in very lovely black oh. and white there's a, a elaborate party scene uh that i do remember watching at the virtual sentence and being like oh my god i remember parties what a concept um <laughs> so if you've seen it on the big screen please report i think we've all seen it at home um but it's uh di- written and directed by rebecca hall it's an adaptation of a book written in 1929 by nella larson who is a um a black woman living in harlem she was kind of among the harlem renaissance writers and uh, stars Tessa Thompson and uh, Ruth Negga as two women. Both are light, light-skinned black women. And Ruth Negga's character has uh, passed over. She is living as a white woman and married to a, uh, a racist dude who's played by Alexander Skarsgård in a Ugh. way that I worry. He's, like, maybe leaning too hard into this. Like, he needs it's, to play less shitty husbands, I think. It's insane. I mean, it's like typecasting beyond to the point where it's at risk of bending all the way back around again to being surprising. Is he going That's full true. Rockwell? Is that what's happening with his career? It's not that all of his villains are racist in the way that Sam Rockwell seemed to be, but just that he is so invariably the same sniveling, abusive uh, what, what husband are the roles? who the solves stand? trouble. Uh, uh, big, big Little Eyes. Big Little Eyes. Tarzan. Big Little Eyes is obviously a big one, but there was also... Um, there was also Hold the Dark is a, is a big example where he was particularly. He's uh, kind of shitty in Diary of a Teenage Girl, isn't he? Yeah. 
he plays uh, the diary. It's not a good look. <laughs> Melancholia. Yeah. He plays against type, but also in a villainous way, you know, far against type in the long shot, in long shot. I mean, it looks like in an upcoming episode of Succession, which we'll talk about later, uh, he is going to be playing oh, God, another comedic role. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's also that it always seems to be within the same spectrum of of evil. And it's a note that he's hit a number of times. And it feels like all the Skarsgård boys are sliding <laughs> into villain that. boys. Like, it's like if you want to make a, Dune, we got yeah, it's like if you want an evil Skarsgård in space, you go with Stellan. Mm-hmm. If you want someone who's going to abuse their wife, abuse their wife, you go with Alexander. If you want someone who's going to hide in a storm drain and freak out little children, you go with Bill. And like, <laughs> or hide in a Marvel them. movie and say, not make a big deal out of himself. A, he is in Eternals. I gotta say that uh, Stellan Skarsgård floating up to a ceiling in a big black cape, like that's range. I don't know. I think he might be uh, leveling up from the rest of his, <laughs> of, his of crew. the Skarsgårds. I mean, yeah. Stellan will, you know, no disrespect to his sons, who are all fine actors. Stellan will forever be the king of the Skarsgårds. Yeah, Stellan says but... the phrase "My Dune" in the king movie of the Dune and <laughs> gets away with it. Is King of the Skarsgårds anyway. a uh, John Carter sequel? Or... Oh boy. Well, we <laughs> no, talked a lot let's about. Not, a... Let's not devote our entire it's past. Do, it's Dune Four. <laughs> yeah, no, we've devoted a lot of uh, a lot of this. We were just talking about someone who's a very minor role. Um, so I just read the book, and oh. which I guess makes the story fresh in my mind, less so the film itself. But it's this really just like fascinating kind of dispatch from the past, like in the same way as The Great Gatsby. You're just like, okay, this is how people like lived and like what was going on in their heads in the 20s, which should not feel like a novel thing. But you know, if you don't read a lot of novels from the past, it can kind of be an interesting experience. And then also this entire concept of passing over, which is sort of failed to exist although the way that we perceive uh race i think has you know not evolved all that far just as less likely for someone to kind of ditch their entire identity and pretend to be another race um but it was you know common enough in this period that you know there's all this like you know lingo thrown around about it and all these like you know stories about other people doing it i found that very fascinating and i I thought back to the way that I think Ruth Negga and Tessa Thompson's performances like this movie feels almost like it came it was made in that era like it is mannered and precise in this way that feels like this kind of historical dispatch more than like a reimagining of the past, which I found really captivating, uh, especially in Ruth Negga's performance. She's like one of those amazing like screen faces I think we have working now. And she really uh, works well with that in this. Um, She gets to have the most movie star energy. She is just. She has so much movie star energy. She's she's the ultimate charisma. Everyone loves her and everyone. And she's putting on a big show because she is passing and she, and those moments where it all kind of crumbles for her is is really tense and really. It's interesting what Kitty was saying, which I think is true that our uh, understanding of race and race relations has not evolved all that much from the time which the movie is set. But I think reading some of the responses to the film, it's striking that, our perception of our understanding of race relations and, and whatnot has has evolved. Um, uh, like not like the way that we have deluded ourselves into thinking that it's evolved, we like to really. think of ourselves as yes. being very different from um, this time. And I think that's something that the choice to shoot the movie in um, this very saturated black and white speaks to and reflects because uh, it it sort of belies the feeling that that a modern audience might bring to this movie. Uh, certain critics uh, they went out of their way to to make this point clear. Um, you know that that we could always be able to decipher these things and distinguish and say, no, you're black, you're white. These people could mm-hmm. never pass. Um, where the reality was obviously to to go with the most cliched wording imaginable, a lot more gray. And that is something that um, I think, yeah, the black and white both makes possible visually, 
but also in its clear binary sort of undercuts on purpose in a really compelling way. And and, and it's just sort of, um, you have to sort of provide your own middle ground. And it's, uh, it's a really interesting choice. And one of many that I think, um, you know, black and white may not be the, the most, uh, it's certainly the most noticeable, but it may not be the most bold decision that Rebecca Hall made visually for this movie um, because there are so many, but it does speak to her, uh, confidence in her vision as a director, as a storyteller, and the weight the story had for her. Um, it's a very impressive directorial debut. It's so in impressive. It's so composed. Number, a number mm-hmm. of them, yeah. It I mean, it reminded like... me in a very different way from uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's film The Lost Daughter, which we'll get to, and just like that, the, the difficulty of the material and just the sure-handedness with which it's adapted from a novel into feeling like something all its own. Yeah, Hall has talked a lot, I mean, since this movie debuted at Virtual Sundance about uh, reading the novel and sitting with it for so long. It seems like she really just envisioned every single second of this movie and and dwelled on it for years and years and years until she could finally get to get to make it. And you really tell that. I mean, there's not one stylistic choice that really stands out to me. It's really coalesced into this movie. It's just amazingly composed. Uh, the music that they choose, you know, it's funny. I think it probably, probably plays fantastically now. I think I watched Passing just shortly after seeing Time, the Garrett Bradley documentary, and I'm pretty sure the score is the same, right? It has um, the music from, uh, oh, God, what is the... the from that, from the Nun? From the Nun. The Was nun it a Nun, right? This yes. yes. Um, really? It also has music from Devontae Hines. Uh, but they do use that same musical cue. But even then, even then, it just like it feels so important. It feels so part of this. It feels like it's it's ringing through time. And I feel like Rebecca Hall finds new ways to show New York City. And uh, to your point, like black and white does speak so much to uh, the passing, the theme of it all. I, it, it's really there's not and there's not that much like that happens. I can't think of too many set pieces. Besides, like, the end, um, there's just, like, chilling moments. We've talked about Skarsgård. There is a scene where he first encounters uh, uh, Tessa Thompson's character, and, and what, are they going to pass, or are they not going to pass, and she's able to pass, and it's like, uh, you, you're, you're sitting on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen. And, uh, but it's never melodramatic. It's never overplayed. It's, it's always, like, I don't know. It's a suffocating feeling often in this movie, and you can feel the world piling up on Tessa Thompson's character as she realizes what Claire, Ruth Negga's character, is kind of getting away with and, and how she floats through the world. It's very psychological, and it's very interior, and I just loved it. I mean, watching it on my computer during Virtual Sundance, I'm still thinking about this movie. I can't wait to see it again on actual big <laughs> 4K television, but um, yeah, it's special. Yeah, th- that interiority is really what reminds me of The Lost Daughter with it, too. I read that book recently, too, and there are a lot of, like, being inside someone's head, making somewhat in- inexplicable decisions. And the tension of the novel is about the passing and about race, but it's also about just, like, female friendship and about this, like, old friend blowing into town who seems to have all the charisma that you don't have. And, like, you know, the idea of fant- fantasizing about having a different life, given this extra additive meaning with her having passed over. And I think that's what gives it so much texture, like those two actresses bouncing off each other where there's so much going on between them. Because it's not like Tessa Thompson's character who has this, you know, very, like, uh, prosperous life in, in Harlem in the 20s. It's not like she's like, oh, I wish I could pass over. Like, it's it's much more 
complex and internal than that. Like she's trying to figure out how she feels about it and why she feels the way she does, which is really fascinating to watch. Right. And her whole dynamic is that she's proudly black and she's part of an important member of a, of a black community and she has white friends. Like she, she is confident in herself, but it's still kind of like a cool aunt story. It's still kind of like, I'm a mom trying to make my life here. And then the cool aunt comes and she's so cool, yeah. but passing is part of that. Um, and getting away yeah, with she's, everything. I mean, she's married to Andre Holland. Who would complain? I know, but Andre Holland is like looking away from her for a second. I'm I know. There's a picture and how, I mean, it's tough. It's tough out there, but it's like, there's a lot of dynamics. It's not just the racial conversation. And I, I think, I don't know, Rebecca Hall sitting with this movie for so long. You, you could tell, you could really tell. And it's, I'm just amazed that they got to shoot it the way they did. And I guess that's on Netflix. Netflix did it. They, they yeah. let someone make the movie that they wanted to make. Yeah. I mean, it's all part of, of as they do their evil plan. Uh, yeah. No, they're, they're, they're sick, twisted sons of bitches. But no one will who see have, this movie like, put out a bunch of really good movies this fall. And it's all very, um, it's, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and just like being so happy that some of these movies exist and yet, uh, wishing that anyone else had made them, but alas could not. Um, but yeah, I mean, passing, I, I wish I'd seen it again since I was able to see it in January of this year, which feels like centuries ago, uh, but, and it had re- been going on a bit of a festival run. I really would have loved to have seen it as part of the New York Film Festival, but it is in theaters now. It's playing at the Paris, if you're in New York, which feels like... <laughs> which is uh, the Netflix theater. An excellent place to see it. I mean, of course, it's where it's playing. Um, and I think we'll probably have a very long shelf life as it continues to be discovered moving forward there's a lot to unpack here and it's really beautifully done and i can only hope uh will not be the last thing that rebecca hall makes i just want to clarify before we end this that netflix picked it up at sundance they did not finance it in the first place well there you go you guys tricked me but i thought that that, that was well true. they, they are, they're working their magic on me and they're like they want eventually for every acquisition title to be uh particularly right. the good it's ones to feel like they were in-house products passing as a netflix movie <laughs> <laughs> So, for our mini segment tonight, we're going to be talking about Succession. Uh, Patches, famous for his uh, forehead-slappingly bad takes, sometimes <laughs> like like uh, Roman Roy duo podcast. What it gets gets it right. Uh, and he had a tweet about Succession. I can't remember exactly when he tweeted it. If it was just advance in season of season three, or if it were, uh, I think the trailer from, had come out. For yeah, season um, that really. It felt pretty devastating <laughs> to me to the show. Um, a show that I enjoy, even if the uh, fear, the furor over it on on Twitter, uh, screen capping every last word of dialogue is maybe a little insufferable. Um, but uh, it's something that it's like impossible to watch the show in a different light after he said it, which is that he essentially compared it to the Entourage formula, which is something it's a trap that HBO has fallen into a number of times, where every episode is just the movie's on. And then like, oh no, drama did this and that, and all the movies off. And then the next episode, the movies <laughs> on. There's a great funnier yes, die. The college sketch. The, the college humor yeah. sketch. This so this is what I actually rather. was thinking yeah. about when I tweeted that because I don't I haven't seen all of Entourage. I've seen some of Entourage, but what I love is that 
college humor sketch where they're, hey, it, the movie's on. Vince can do the movie. Oh, no, Vince can't do the movie. Oh, there's war breaking out in Syria. We can't do the movie. No, Vince, <laughs> it's back on, baby. So Vince can do the movie. Right. And, and so this, this formula is something that, you know, Entourage really uh, coined, but it was also, I think, endemic to um, Silicon Valley, which ironically... Thomas Middleditch, who stars in that college humor oh, right. sketch, was in. Um, and maybe to a lesser extent, Ballers, although I would have to have watched more of Ballers to say for sure. Elizabeth Warren um, will go to you on that one. Though. Yeah, she'll know. Uh, yeah, she, and we're going we're gonna to bring her in, in the next episode for clarification. And, um, and it definitely feels like a threat to succession um, with the like, oh, now... We're joining the company. Now the company is in trouble. And now, now Roman's on top. And now Roman's not on top. And so forth. Um, the, the opportunity for this to befall the show and get it stuck in a holding pattern is clear. I think. But that... that's also what people want, right? Like, I think my yes. ultimate takeaway about Succession after watching these first few season three episodes, which again, it's the same thing over and over. Oh, dad's up to his old tricks. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm splitting off. I'm going to get the company. Shivy, 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 shivy. Oh no, Shiv wants the company, but she's like raising an eyebrow. Whose team is she on this time? I'm just like, it, this is the same goddamn like, thing every time. When does anybody do any work? And I understand no, no, that most of these people do have work? the luxury of not having to do work, but in this most recent episode. It's like no one even pulls was, a lever. I don't get the, this I thought shit. the third episode <laughs> that just aired was the strongest of the first three. I mean, the second one really felt like it was a second holding pattern. Um, but the, no, but they the got point, all the right? siblings in a, a room together. That, that, the second episode's yeah. great. Um, you just need to give them the banter. Right. Yeah, but the banter doesn't, you know, I'm with Patches and the banter doesn't always carry the weight that it needs to for me. But the, um, you know, there's a scene in the third episode where Roman comes in and he's talking about how, you know, it's like sort of bullshitty way uh, talking to his dad about how they're dealing with these sort of distribution deals somewhere and it's a headache. And I was like, I, you know, it's like 80% hot air, but it's like 20% is like he does have some other work to do at some point, sometime. And it's like, I just right, don't know when. Like, how does the company when, make money you know, and what do they yeah, do? Like, when that's happening. I need an explainer. Um, uh, but the, here's I feel the thing, like the like, show is too smart to fall into, and too pointed, Shiv-like, you might say, to fall <laughs> into the trap as much as some of those other HBO shows did. But it's But did they fall into the a, trap? Because I don't think they... I'm not sure they fell into any trap. I think they serviced... Their, they are sitcoms, right? Succession is a sitcom. Play it again, over and over. Different lines, different laughs. It's a sitcom. It's two and a half men. I, it's mm, Entourage. It's Succession. It's the same I thing. I feel like you're, like, dismissing half of the show, which is the psychological, like, drama aspect of it. What is the it? psychological like, part of it? I mean, the, this, ep this recent episode ends with Shiv stabbing Kendall in the back, which is what always happens. And he's, like, sitting there bathing in the light on this, like, show that he bailed because Shiv, like, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just a sucker for everything Jeremy Strong does on the show. But, like, I think you get these moments of each of them trying that. to get their father's approval and trying to get each other's approval. Like, the way that, like, they're kind of ruined over and over again. Like, I think Matthew McFadden has a lot of, like, really, like, heartbreaking moments in this. And, like, the show is still really funny. I agree with you that it's got the format of a sitcom where everything resets. But I think what makes it work is that you're watching the impact it has on these characters and it's treating them as people. See, I think that the, the entourages, the Silicon Valleys of the world, they can fall back a little bit more on this formula as an excuse because they are sitcoms. Uh, I disagree with your characterization of succession, Matt, because I don't, think that it's a comedy first. I've watched a lot I, of Two and a Half I, Men. That's how I'm certain. Yeah, I mean, that I think has probably rotted your brain from the inside out irreparably, <laughs> but I yeah. fall more with Katie here and that I think that it's kind of more of a Greek tragedy um, that is so acerbic 
that it, it sort of takes the on Greek the tragedy can't the skin of a drama like, of a comedy. It it needs to make it right. It's like a move. it's like a Greek tragedy. It like swirling down a toilet train, and then the same thing sort of happened over and over and over again. But it's it, that does take precedence for me over the the comedy of it. It's it's more. It feels like a show that's serving the drama with the comedy being incidental rather than the other way around. Um, and so I do think that like ultimately, you know, especially because it's not going to run for eleven seasons. I mean, it'll probably run for five. Uh, that it will be pointed and straightforward enough to. Uh, even if it's exhausting to imagine how these people must be in the spiral of drama day in and day out, how do this they feed of it? They feed off of it. Obviously, this is the sort of like cage match that a Logan Roy lives for, but and bred his children shivy, to shivy, enjoy. Shivy. But shivy, shivy, shivy. Yeah, but shivy, the shivy, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like how how would anyone possibly uh, you know sleep at night or like function as a human being if they were doing this all the time? But it, it does feel like it's too straightforward to fall into the entourage trap completely. But that is an element that is there. And in the weaker moments of an episode two, which sure puts all the siblings in a room, what an accomplishment. Um, but for like five minutes. <laughs> so they could episode, be like, whose side are you on? Are you on my right. side? Come on, my um, side. You know, did feel like a lot of that. And the first episode is almost parodying that with everyone splitting up into different places and their battle stations. And they're just going back into Action formations stations. we've seen before, Action whatever. That, um, that was really fun. Yeah. Uh, but all I'm know. saying is I'm watching Curb, the new season, and uh, that's a getting a lot. Now that's funny. <laughs> Curb. <laughs> Curb is, I mean, it's a Shonda. It's a Shonda. Anyway, Succession good, Curb better. Let's move on. Final segment of the night. We're going to talk about a show that's all wrapped up that you can watch. You can binge it. Do people still binge television shows? Not to get yeah. too off topic, but do you think heard about? It. I think we. I think we all just did, right? Although I they did release, the show they did talking. release oh, the show we're talking about on a weekly basis. They and did. I they were civilized, and, and I, I think it was greatly to that show's benefit for um, getting oh, people absolutely. to talk about it. All, all of the FX on Hulu and the Hulu shows. Ah, uh, I just. There's nothing I want to binge anymore. I have no time. Who has time to binge something? What a life. Anyway, we're going to be talking about Only Murders in the Building. This is a show that brought Steve Martin to television full-time for the first time, I think, maybe in his whole career. I don't think he's had really? a sitcom. He's never had a show. He was on SNL. Like, as I, I was going to say, Steve, never part Steve of, Martin he wasn't has part famously of the SNL done cast. television before. Yeah, Steve no, Martin done... was never par- he was never a, an SNL cast member, right? No, he was never a cast member. And I don't think he's ever had a show. So this is like his first sitcom in decades of, of working. Um, and he's been a movie star. Uh, and he teamed up with this guy, John Hoffman, who has not done a ton of television. He must be a buddy. I think he did Northern Exposure. and, and or uh, Yeah, I don't know. Not too much. But these guys paired up to do a show about true crime podcasting? I find the whole premise of this very odd. Uh, I guess Steve Martin and Martin Short were looking for a vehicle to do with each other and they decided how about a show that's about like weird New York in jokes living on the Upper West Side Selena Gomez will be there and it's the three of us solving a murder what was that HBO show with Gal Fanakis and Ted Danson um, oh Bored to Death yeah I thought bored, about yeah, Bored to Death this, yeah, yeah. they decided they were going to make Bored to Death but the, for the podcasting era the true crime era so they made I mean, yeah. only murders for, in the and building. for the Upper West Side instead of Brooklyn 
The problem yeah. was that Steve There's Martin a lot of New insisted in this that this uh, that this one guy's daughter, who had never acted before, be the lead of the show. Uh, maybe because he had some blackmail over Steve Martin, and then uh, they eventually had to replace that actress who had really only appeared in her high school productions. Uh, Wait, are you being her serious? High school's production of <laughs> Romeo and Juliet with Selena Gomez. Uh, Is that true? Wait, no. really? That really happened? <laughs> What are you talking about? <laughs> talk- Patches. I'm talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm, obviously. Oh, but, okay. um, <laughs> oh you got me. That's a really funny episode. Oh, yeah. So you good. Watch I think Curb. it's, it's going to so be funny. more than Not one episode. Not to derail this podcast, but uh, yeah, uh, I mean, Larry, Larry's getting blackmailed. Should we talk but about the, the, no, It I'm is sorry. funny the way that you just brought Selena Gomez into that pitch very casually. Well, it's Selena like, Gomez, I find, I got to be honest, I find her quite awful. Uh, this is no Spring Breakers, to be, to be wow. blunt. Wow. Um, she's amazing and, <laughs> and we'll get there <laughs> yeah, we'll get there we'll get there so why why did i watch only murders in the building since i sound probably pretty cynical about it my wife is a big true crime podcast listener right. i think she heard about this show steve martin martin short two funny guys they've been hosting things they've been appearing in videos endlessly they are a good duo we should watch their show and and she likes true crime so we'll watch it i put up with this show i would say but i'm also enamored by it. I was there every episode. I would put my phone down. I would watch every episode of Only Murders in the Building. I find the the like hit ratio on the show to be completely 50-50. Bits, Steve Martin as a washed up uh, TV actor, detective, kind of veering close to sh- Murder, She Wrote in a way. Mo- a little more Kojak or something. Um, but enough of that like bad TV detective flavor. He's kind of nailing something and I'm there for him. Martin Short Way over the top as a theater director, burned out, pulled mm. up in his Upper West Side apartment, running out of money. Uh, the, he's just like overplaying this every time, and yet very funny. Have you ever moment. seen a and Martin Short Selena performance Gomez. before? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Bring back Jimmy Glick. Where's that guy been? Um, oh, God. And then you got Selena Gomez, who's like a ghost. I don't. She's not really a ghost. I just she has no presence. I can't wait to hear you talk about why Selena Gomez. She's there to make Gen Z jokes to two old well, men. Um, I'm only I've only seen the first four episodes of the show. So when we go into our spoiler section, which will be clearly marked, I'm going to bow out because I'm on tenterhooks. I've been. But uh, here's the thing. It's a good mystery show. You every episode has something going on. I don't know. People are enamored with the show. I'm kind of weird on it. What what do you guys make of only murders in the building? It seems really popular. It seems legitimately coming back for a second season. It is. Oh, yeah. I, that's surprising to me only because, again, I haven't finished it, so I don't know how open-ended it is or is not. But Oh, don't worry, um, get there when you're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> if they're going to do a White Lotus or if it's just a straightforward continuation, By the time you get to the know. end, I think you'll be glad that they're having a second season. That's what Okie dokie. Oh. Um, in kind of a search party sort of way. Anyway, we'll get there. Um, that's, but, a good uh, that's actually a great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, spoilers, I've, I can now see it all. Um, this is, uh, it's light entertainment. It's very breezy. It is undemanding. It's the kind of show where the charm between the leads is so easygoing that when a joke doesn't, you know, knock you flat, it it doesn't, there isn't any dead air. It doesn't feel like it's detracting from anything. It's all just part of the ambiance. And you don't expect Steve Martin and Martin Short, uh, to be, you know, slaying you with like gut busting, Joke deliveries uh, every other line. I mean, this is sort of the register in which they work well together. It's pleasant. It's free. You watch it at home. 
Um, it's Although smartly Tina Fey done. shows up, it's early unexpected. On, Tina Fey shows up. Like Sting shows up. Um, it has a. It's less uh, forced. Is, is a negative connotation. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah, silly. Yeah, um, Malik Pencholi, who played Jonathan on 30 Rock, yes. who is oh, yeah. uh, one of the residents of the building. You can see some of the 30 Rockness in Martin Short's character in particular, and like the shows that he tried to mount in the posters yes. uh, in his Splash apartment. Splash the musical. Right. Yeah, it's very New- 30 Rock. With a giant uh, tank in the theater. <laughs> he has a poster for a show called Newark, Newark. <laughs> I find funny. Um, it's shit like that. I mean, it's like, we put it on, my wife and I have been watching it, uh, like not even when my kid is asleep, but like as in the last thirty minutes before he goes to sleep, as he's just sort of like but futzing around and like half on the couch and minding his own business, and we're all just sort of about that. like three we'll quarters watching. Um, but uh, and it's it it's perfectly it you know the episodes are half an hour. Uh, my biggest complaint is that the title of the episode, really the title screen of every episode, which takes the visual appearance of a podcast app does not actually correspond to, uh, correspond to the lack of the... Oh, sorry, I can't even speak tonight. It does not actually correspond to the length of the episode that we're no, watching. It's always the same too. graphic, and it bothers me. Um, you can afford Steve Martin and Martin Short. You can't afford to change the graphic every for 10 fucking episodes. Come on, Hulu. Anyway, they're making those me lightful, and I'm actually, is, uh, so I'm actually hooked on the, me- on like the mystery. Yeah, I, I am hooked it, on the mystery. Am I right to be hooked on the mystery? Is yes, that something this show? Every will... episode yes, is adding you know, it's to a, the mystery. It's, it's not going to be like episode eight. Now it's the farting episode. Fuck you for caring. Like it definitely does not. No, go I think the, the, the second half of the season is culminating the mystery. I would call it is a much more satisfying mystery than the White Lotus. And I love the White Lotus, but like the white the, the mystery of the White Lotus was not really the point. The mystery no, of this I, is certainly the point. Absolutely. Sure. Well, yeah. So David, Katie, I, I mean. I, I'm starting to think that this is so effervescent and fun that I'm like, I'm out of whack now that I, I can't watch a show as easygoing as this. But like, what is the appeal for you? What is hooking you in only murders? Like, it, uh, it's made me laugh uh, constantly. Like, I just I, I find everything to see Martin and Martin Short do really funny. And like, obviously, they've been around my entire life, but I don't think I've ever seen them like in a showcase, like along these lines. And there's like pathos to their characters. But like. A lot of silliness too, like, and then Nathan actually Nathan Lane shows up. David, I guess oh you haven't God, gotten Nathan him yet, Lane. so I won't go too much more detail. Wait, about Nathan Lane. No, you would have seen Nathan. Lane. He has shown okay. up in a yeah, flashback, and I believe the second episode. I, is one he of lives the in the building. People, Martin Short. I watch these all in a very deep bed, oh, right. so yeah. I cannot remember what tracks with what. Um, yeah, no. but it's hilarious to me, basically throughout, from like pratfalls to like complicated gags, and I feel like Selena Gomez has this nice like leavening energy between the two of them, where like both Steve Martin and Martin Short can go super big, as we well know, and she's basically deadpan the entire time, but with this deep affection for them and kind of getting wrapped into their like silly adventures as the mystery goes further and further. Also, I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan when I first moved to New York, and the Upper West Sideness of this is delightful to me. Like there are so (laughs) many of these characters, like I mean, you get like these great actors like Jane Howdy Show and, and Molly Pancholi, who we mentioned earlier, Jackie Hoffman, who just played these. Jackie like, Hoffman's so fantastic. <laughs> if you've ever set foot near Zabar's, you recognize these people immediately. And like all the internal building you, I, drama. Yeah, so all of our listeners who have set foot Jews, near Zabar's. Uh, yeah. When you say these people, Katie, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, can, but, can you be more specific? Uh, the cranky entitled people of the Upper West Side who do not want to walk more than oh, five wow. blocks Gee, to get anywhere an and get deeply involved in their building politics. No, it only sounds more anti-Semitic to That's me, our but demographic. Okay. Yeah. That's our podcast demo, yeah. 
Uh, anyway, uh, Dave, what do you like about it? Uh, I think it's super specific to the type of humor that it is because I agree that it's like, uh, you know, good performances from these guys. I agree with Katie that it had you have Selena Gomez sort of balancing out uh, the fact that uh, like you could get stagnated in your life the same way, even if like society wants to shut you into something more successful. Like she's definitely more tied up in what she has going on and can't move forward. Uh, in a way uh, that in the same sort of way that the two men can. So it has like all these characters in a weird transition and they're just obsessed with true crime podcasts. And the show makes, I think, a lot of really smart, specific true crime podcast choices. Uh, The one that we've all seen at this point is there's an episode called The Sting where (laughs) Sting shows up and they're convinced that they have, because now they have a celebrity uh, suspect that you know, this is going to get them more listeners and more attention, and that's when they go to Tina Fey's like podcast producer. And I know that episode that that's essentially like you know the type of true crime podcast that eventually gets us Tiger King because you know it touches somebody like famous enough that you could have an episode with like weird you know C list celebrity shows up in your murder podcast, and it's even better if he's like a suspect. And then uh, Sting seems really game uh, to the point where he like sort of feels like he's responsible at the end of the episode, but in a very hilarious way. I think it's just very smart about that. And then it's structured like these uh, as we're investigating podcasts uh, are going, which I think is uh, or it's the type of podcast where it's a true crime podcast where the investigation is happening as the podcast is releasing which I think was a really smart uh, narrative choice that comes yeah. into play and uh, is is beneficial. It's I just clever. like how specific it is. Yeah, it, it is very specific. And I think part of my frustration with it is that I don't like true crime podcasts. And right. that it might it's like be bo- a if challenge. Bo- if Bored to Death was like trashy Brooklyn, like white dude novels about like, you know, seedy neo-noir mysteries, this is that version of true crime podcast and the reality is it's like women and old guys like that's the audience that sort of consumes these things anyway now there are so it's nice to see them uh, be active in it yeah what i do like about the show is the format is able to showcase different people in the orbit of our main characters one episode is still focused Mm. on the main action i'm not gonna get into this too spoilery (laughs) well what Look, one episode is about the the cop, the the black woman who is like investigating the crime. Dave, and, I enjoy and, Randolph and kind of stand out in Dolomite is my name. Yeah, and learning about more about the case through the podcast. Um, so that was clever. There's one episode that's um uh, told, I think, entirely from a deaf character's perspective because it's almost entirely without dialogue if i recall i think there's only yeah. like two lines of dialogue yeah. in the whole episode and then um and then there's one episode that's like fan driven it's the people who are camping out and who have become obsessed with the podcast um so i do like that it kind of jumps around it feels almost at times it feels almost like prestige tve to try and like we gotta find other people like we can't just be the one show we can't just well, be I mean, the that's- mystery 
that's the thing that keeps it fresh. That's the thing that keeps us from doing a succession like, is this a fucking sitcom to only murders in I the building? I guess I'm just saying, Murder, She Wrote is was it able to it has like, episodes... start a crime and tie it all up in one hour, you know? Yeah, so if you're, if you're like, if you're <laughs> describing Murder, She Wrote, you're like the one where, and you're inevitably saying the end of the fucking mystery because that's how you describe the show. With this one- well, rude, I would it's... never do that. All right, I'm sorry, I don't know. Maybe there's more specific Murder, She Wrote dialogue. This one is- you know, it has episodes like the one that is largely dialogue list or the one with Sting, but it's still st- taking a narrative. Like I was told that I w- this was like right up my alley uh, as as a show um, by, I believe, Joanna Robinson uh, before it started coming out because she had screeners and then it started coming out and I heard more about it and people were like, they, fight. they even have like the Hardy Boys books. Like I have a whole bunch of Hardy mm-hmm. Boys books uh, that are the same like blue cover one. I have the detective guide uh, that uh, I think she finds in the second episode. Uh, so like it was extremely up my alley, but I also knew that I didn't want to uh, do the thing that happens with true crime podcasts that are like investigative, which is get caught up in the mystery. I get kind of obsessive. So I waited until after the finale and then binge the whole thing. Cause I was just like, it's a very pleasant world to live in, even though it's about murders because it's these like comedians and Selena Gomez that are working pretty well for me. Uh, snappy episode length, as David was saying. It's just, it, it's nice. It goes down. It's a easy. nice comedy. It's comforting. Yep. It's and I like, you know, I like the uh, intergenerational stuff. I mean, these are people who can make easy lays feel a little bit more nuanced and and fresh. I mean, there are a lot of familiar... he only eats dips. Yeah, I mean, oh there are a lot God, of like. I mean, so it's a perfect. Funny. I mean, there are a lot of sort of staid jokes about you know, generational conflict and people Signing getting older and yeah i mean like there's a whole thing right in the in the first and the second episode maybe about steve martin composing texts with like greetings you know what's a face at best and going through the various options but because it's steve martin there's a little extra zest to it um it's funny he's a really wonderful it's, performer like yeah i just I mean, loved watching him in the show he's so yeah. i i don't know where his uh, romance with Amy Ryan is going to go, but that was cutely handled enough. And I'm he plays to the see. oboe. It's a the bassoon, it's a bassoon you, you dumbass. I'm an Jesus Christ. She wears a, a shirt that says, <laughs> I can't actually remember what it says. Something about her bassoon being sexy. Anyway, um, I think this is as good a point as any to ding the spoiler gong, and I will <laughs> jump out and. Have fun, you guys. Yeah. I don't think there will be much to say. I was about to say, maybe we don't even have to ding it, but I don't... Well, I mean, I... Let's talk about the ending. For the people who have already gotten to the end of the show, it's a mystery. It has some twists. Uh, This is... We're going to talk about the ending of Only Murders in the Building, which actually leads up, quite shockingly, to season two. Kind of stupid. I I I mean, it, it... It ends with the first shot of the season, which is like yes, which you had, which I had fully forgotten about. I don't know if that totally was forgotten. Well, that's what is the that's first one shot of the benefits. Of the it's one of the benefits of binging. It's uh, Selena Gomez bloody in front of the tie dye guy's body, and the other two guys rush in with the police. Oh wow! Behind them. Uh, yeah, did not remember that at all, but still shocking at the end. Uh, so Amy, Amy Ryan, the killer, obvious. Yeah. yeah. Like very obvious. Yeah. You think it was? You think it was obvious? I'm I mean, maybe I'm too just famously but... terrible. Yeah. I mean, well. 
Yeah, Jessica Fletcher taught you well. I'm terrible at figuring out twists. But like, who Although else I, could it have been? Who did you suspect? I mean, I just was kind of a lot. Like, obviously, it's not Nathan Lane because they figure out Nathan Lane too early. But like, I don't know. Like, I th- I thought it would have been funny if it was the land l- landlady, the, the the head of the board or whatever. Oh, that would have been the like woman as who New gets, York as the woman who gets killed at the end of the season. Yeah, 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 that would I think that would have been a, a interesting because that just seemed like a New York direction Boy, to, you guys, to yes. go. Well, yeah, you, you know, hopefully next watch season, twelve seasons of Murder She Wrote over and over and over again on IMDb yeah, TV. Yeah, because then I'll know who did it from the beginning and <laughs> yeah. won't have any fun. Exactly, that's what you I want to do. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. Uh, I mean, the, although Amy the Ryan that I, coming out, yeah. Like, well, she the the office and Steve Carell are mentioned uh, in this show, meaning that this is a Amy Adams uh, Amy Inception Ryan. universe. Amy Ryan, Amy Ryan Inception, an Amy well, and Amy Adams Inception universe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that that was interesting. But what I like is, and the reason I wanted to hit specificity about of podcasts is this season was like uh, we're investigating, and as we're going on, it was serial. Uh, but the other half of Serial, which this one wasn't, which the next season can be, is an exoneration podcast. That's true. Which is like, these people got arrested. Whoa. We're out on bail because okay. we're, we're Upper West Siders. They're not going to fucking keep us. And so we're going to yeah, run and that an exoneration podcast. That, w- that would make for a less interesting second okay. season, I think, if so, they're all in jail. So this yeah. is more mainstream search party. It really is. Like, yeah, I and mean, a lot yeah, less, yeah. And a lot less dark. I like mean, search party is very deliberately dark, but yes, like a uh, upper like, it is the uh the I upper west side search party murders in the building. No, it's correct. not stressful at all. Also, like there's Although, so much dumb. Like we didn't get to talk about Jane Lynch in terms of the uh the people really on the show. Oh, like, the devils. It's so funny. It's so stupid. But it's every like time someone mistakes her for rock? Steve Martin, it's hilarious. It's a very yeah. strange tone. But I will say one thing. I don't remember how it panned out maybe because I was watching this week to week and this just was not important enough to stick with me was Martin Short trying to pay for his apartment. And that scene, I think it's like in third or fourth episode where he goes to his son's house and like begs him for no, money. That's in the I'm first like, episode. Oh, oh, that's the first episode. Yeah. Um, I'm like, this is trying to be emotional. Why? I, uh, because that's the end scene for his character is his son brings the dog over and offers him money and he turns down money because he has a need because he has a successful podcast. He, he has a successful yeah. podcast. And the like, point I is, like, start that a first successful episode... podcast and make lots of money. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> like what us. we've done very like well us. with that. Like us. Yeah. Um, that first episode ends with that kind of like you know, very uh, evocative shots of them like dropping things that bounce like, like Martin Short Falls. Like, and they kind of lose that as the season goes on like I don't remember anything that lyrical in the rest of the show and I like that aspect of it and it was kind of interesting that they ditched it but I I do think it gives it like a little bit of you know emotional weight like you want these people to be happy you I was rooting for Steve Martin and Amy Ryan maybe that's why I didn't immediately think she was the killer oh yeah what's wrong with you of course she was the killer Uh, (laughs) well I also like the way that they like at the end brought it back to that with you know him being able to like text his daughter finally yeah it's not as neat of like a package that. as I wanted. Like, for instance, Selena Gomez is making like a fucking mural on her wall for Ugh. no reason. And then at the end, they're like, oh, I finished the mural. And her Oscar's like, good job. And I'm like, no, there should have been more with that. Yeah. Maybe that'll be she, season She two? should have something else, something else to do. She just doesn't have a lot going something. on. Her whole flashback thing, that was kind of a, a doubt. Well, she's, got just, a, she's got the one of... The two murders. To she just solve. doesn't feel as dimensional as Steve Martin or Martin Short's characters. 
No, she's younger. She hasn't had that much time. Yeah, she hasn't had much time to fuck things up. She's had friends who are dead. She's the one who has the most going on. Can we talk about how um, Nathan Lane is so surprisingly menacing? Like, I just like didn't really realize he could be a a bad guy. What about People versus OJ? He's kind of like menacing, but in a positive direction. Well, they sideways him in being menacing in this one because he's yeah. starting. He's like, he's going to be as ridiculous as everybody else. Yeah. Like, he's funding this podcast. He like has yeah. that thing. It's like, my words in Fallon's mouth. It's I love like, that. that stuff's fucking hilarious. I love that they yeah. got Jimmy Fallon. It's like the complete 30 Rock. Yeah, every only 30 like, Rock like strand Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey. Yeah. yeah, it does feel like you're just in an episode of 30 Rock. <laughs> I would be so happy if they brought in more 30 Rock bit players next season. Yeah, like, what if it's, it's just full on 30 Rock murder? Like murdy, yeah, murder at thirty. Rock. Thirty Rock murder. I, I, I mean, definitely yeah. watched that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you made a good prediction, Dave, for season two. I was going to ask what what season two will be, but I think you're spot on. Like they're going to do the get her out of there's, jail or save her. There's ass. so many oh, different. Yeah. There's yeah. There's so many different types of uh, you know true crime podcasts that are rife for for spoofing. After this ended. I really wanted more of that content, so I listened to this podcast called Done Disappeared, which is a spoof of the podcast Up and Vanished, uh, which caused like a whole bunch of uh, uproar in the true crime community because it was one of these situations where a guy who had never really done anything like podcasting before is like, I'm going to go investigate a murder and release the podcast as I'm going. And he ended up kicking up the actual murderer not because of his work but because the murderer was like listening to the podcast and decided to finally confess and it's like odd and weird and there's all these sorts of spoof angles you could take on it that you know has been they've uh, done comedies in the podcast format so i'm ready i'm ready for podcasting to be like the weird uh you know person who takes time off work to make a great american novel I, I'm ready for that to be the the side say, plot to a whole bunch of things. Yeah, has this has this show to wrap up gotten you to go back and listen to true crime podcasts? Are you listening to true crime podcasts, Dave? You have reminded me of something that I absolutely love, which was a few years ago. This must have been like 2018. Uh, the Onion did a fake true crime podcast called A Very Fatal Murder. And mm-hmm. if it is still around, I highly recommend listening to it. It's just a very, very funny spoof on serial and the whole rise of, of figure it out as you go true crime podcast. So funny. But um, is there any legit true? Do you listen to true crime podcasts now? Yeah. Yeah. What do you listen uh, to? There, there have been some interesting ones. There's one called Jury Duty, which has been following the Robert Durst trial since the jinx. And obviously that has gotten interesting in the past couple of months. Uh, But uh, basically throughout uh, late August and September, they broadcast uh, Robert Durst took the stand in his own defense and did some of the most insane testimony I've ever heard. Uh, That was really good. Uh, There was one called uh, Murder and Alliance, which was one of these. It was an exoneration podcast that was also coming out as they went. Uh, it is a good example of starting thinking you know what you're talking about and then like every four episodes the host figures out something new and actually does a really good job I think to uh, pivoting to new information uh, so there's stuff like that out that has uh, been great I think To Live and Die in LA season two recently just uh, wrapped up and also uh, got really close to solving a case so yeah there's still wow, really good true crime out there go solve a murder Dave I mean, when it comes across my... Th- all all I know, Patches, is that 
the police are not the people that should be solving murders. Wow. Uh, I have spent this time uh, digging in and realizing Martin Short was never on 30 Rock, which feels so weird. I He was on Arrested yeah, Development. Yeah, you're right. It does he not seem here. And I think he was on Kimmy Schmidt. And Steve Martin, obviously, was on the iconic Gavin LaVore episode with I Miscounted the Men, Liz. Um, but yeah, it's so weird <laughs> that he was never on there. His spirit was there. Uh, yeah, I wonder what else he was doing. And well, I did Guess I, what? I, I had, They're on a show together now. It's called Only Murders of the Building. It's all on Hulu. You can binge it like Dave did this weekend. And we mostly recommend it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give yourself the treat. Yeah. 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 That does it for this week's episode. Uh, We'll be back next week, but also wanted to tease that we do have a quarter quell coming up. Uh, Currently on track to do it actually the week that we're supposed to, which is not always the case. Um, And uh, we we, we won't spoil too much, but we are planning to look back at movies that we covered in the very early days of the podcast. We're talking early 2011 and or late 2010. That's right. It's sort of our 10th anniversary, kind of our 11th <laughs> anniversary. Um, so maybe th- if you want to tweet at us about the movies you remember us talking about back then that you want to hear us talk about, we'll take submissions. But uh, otherwise, I think... people who've been listening to this the entire time. We've had... Those people get in touch with us. Like, we're still doing it. Someone has to have been listening this whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, have point. Keep... we are still doing it. We have to keep doing the podcast until the phrase quarter quell is more associated with us because we did name it quarter quell before the first hunger games movie had even come out like it was like cresting then i remember that anyway anyway think back to 2011 tell us what you want us to talk about in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patches deputy editor over at polygon.com i'm on twitter at mr patches we have a website fightinginthewarroom.com where if you want to try and find all the old episodes. I don't know. Can you find the really old episodes on fightingintheworm.com, Dave? You cannot officially find <laughs> the really old Opkino episodes on Fighting in the War Room at the moment. You can find all of our quarter quills, but not all the all the back categories. Well, those are catalog. probably good, too. Uh, hopefully. Fightingintheworm.com. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I was just listening as Patches was doing that to a recording of ours from about 10 years ago where Dave's voice sounds about four octaves higher. Dave, I'm not sure what, what happened to you. When he's smoking. <laughs> smoking. <laughs> um, but uh, the, yeah, Dave just sent around an index, which I don't know if this is publicly available. Of, uh, no, it's not. It's not. Definitely not of our <laughs> off-kino episodes. But the problem is that only a few of them have episode uh, movie names in the title of the file. And so I'll have to actually... I don't, I don't think there's a way to expand the tag. I have to actually open the links and listen to the episodes to figure out what movies we talked about in these episodes were. Horrible um, bosses. Revisit it. Oh, wow. Boy, Honestly. Right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. You can find me on IndieWire writing about uh, what's coming up this week. I'm gonna, I wrote something about Pig. Um, great movie. And got reviews of Finch. The uh, Apple TV movie with Tom Hanks and a robot voiced by Caleb Landry-Jones. And also Red Notice, the most expensive Netflix movie ever. So go on IndieWire for those if you're interested. Uh, more importantly, go on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Look us up. Write us a review. We'll read it live on the show. You can find us all there together in one happy place. Uh, not arguing about a certain Netflix property that cannot be named, but we'll... 
be relevant to you all in just a few weeks. Wow, David's just <laughs> full of spoilers today. Full of spoilers. Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. And there I talk about things like Star Wars trailers and Marvel movies. Or maybe just come here next week. We'll be talking about a Marvel movie. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Goldman podcast and on the Still Watching Impeachment podcast and the Impeachment show. It's still on. I might make you guys talk about it in the future because it's still good. If you have cable, watch it. If you don't, too bad. You might have to wait a while, but use that FX Now login. Uh, anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And you can find us all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where truly we would love to hear about the 2011 movies that you want to hear revisited or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the Eternals, what cinematic sunset is your favorite? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. I'm done.